Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. That pause says it all. <laughs> We're sort of befuddled prey. Even we don't know how to address all this shit. I know. I just, today I oh, woke up God. and they're complaining that James Earl Jones, uh, a, 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 a black man, played Darth Vader, a white man. And it comes in the wake of several actresses quitting roles, which just were two years ago, that were cast two years ago. Kristen Bell and Jenny Slate, great actresses. They're playing yeah. biracial characters. And they quit and said, let's have hire someone who is actually biracial or, or uh, make way for a person of color. And literally the first thing, I don't know what else to say, but the racist people went on about James Earl Jones, which was cast 40 years ago. And let me just be clear for people who aren't tech type people. Darth Vader is like a machine has become not a man anymore. He's all machine. And it, it, it's, it's, I don't know what they're going to do when they find out that, uh, that George Lucas is married to an African American woman, but it's, it, it's just an astonishing array of pushback all over the place, uh, putting up Confederate moderate, uh, putting back Confederate statues. It's, it's crazy. It just seems like insane at this point, but. I don't know, Scott. I don't know if you have anything to say about this or should have anything to say about well, it, but it's really... Just Star Wars. I I believe when Darth Vader had his mask taken off at the end when he was dying, he then... It was a Caucasian actor, I think. Yeah. And by the way, every white man in the world dreams of having James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman do their voice. I mean, that, that's... Uh, yeah, the two are not analogous. I thought what was so interesting about that was it kind of highlighted... You know, it gets really to one of the cores of the, the economic apartheid that's taken place here where Latina and black families or households have about $30,000 in average wealth, white families about 160000 And it was just, wasn't that, it was really interesting that when you think about Hollywood, these little, I don't want to even call them little, but these, this progress, this slow creeping progress that's always there, that's insidious, or that creates this economic apartheid, that these biracial characters, they end up giving the 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 work and i bet it's great work i bet they make 10 or 15 mm-hmm. 25,000 bucks an episode goes to two white actresses right it kind of it kind of sums up a lot of the problem here but one of the things that's interesting i mean you know you can it, it, it's 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 throughout hollywood this sort of uh, it's it, hollywood has been, there's been dozens of articles written about this which is really interesting and nobody's done anything which is which i think this moment is a really interesting moment because even though i've read uh, not just not not just uh, people of color uh, trans people, things, trans people playing trans characters, et cetera, et cetera, uh, white people playing Asian people. It's, it's a really, it, nothing much happens. There's a hullabaloo and then everything goes back to the same thing. And I think in this moment, even the actors are like, this is, this is just the, the way the system is set up is ridiculous. It's an interesting, um, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes in terms of the things, but the pushback to me is really the most ridiculous part of the entire equation is that we're trying to have a cogent substantive discussion about these issues and, uh, and, and make actual changes. And then it doesn't change. Anyway, it's, I think any, any studio that does not get behind this is, as you said, is like, they're not thinking 10 years ahead, which is what you have to be doing, uh, right now. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it, the pushback is what really disturbs me the most, I think of all the things, but maybe there's so many things to be disturbed by well, at this moment. There's, I did an online class, um, earlier in the week and I, some of the students brought up what I think is a really important point, And that is oftentimes in the heat of the moment, when things are so raw, there's, 
there's more outrage and there's more anger than there is what I'd call data-driven evidence-based discourse. And if you don't at some point move to an evidence-based data-driven discourse, you're not going to bring along enough people across the middle and even the other side of the aisle, which you need for, for landmark change or tectonic shifts. And I said, I, you know, I, I absolutely get that, but I would err on the side. If you just look at historically, if you want to be on the right side of a, of a stock trade, you want to be on the right side of a trend. If you look at all what you would call these progressive movements, whether it was protesting against the Vietnam War, you know, marching for fair housing, marching for civil rights, people who march, you know, or I would, I would call these progressive movements, they're usually on the right side of history looking back. You know, like Anita, Anita Bryan and George Wallace, it's usually their comments yeah. don't age well. So as it relates to kind of progressive movements, yeah, we need to have that evidence-based argument. We need to be thoughtful about, about ensuring that everyone feels that they're bought into this, this movement. But if you just wanted to say, all right, how would you play this? You know, you look back and you think, aren't you, don't you wish you were the straight guy that supported, um, that was more supportive of gay marriage, right? Yeah. Obama didn't support it in his first administration. No. The Clintons didn't support it. No. Don't you wish you were that guy who surprised Gavin his Newsom or her. for president? Gavin Newsom. Well, exactly. But don't you wish you were that guy? And you know what? It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to predict. You know where this is going. Of course, yeah. we know which direction the world is well, headed. Well, let me it's let me be... interject then. Then these boycott Facebook campaigns. Another reaction to it now, powered by groups including the NAACP and the Anti Defamation League, it's gaining steam. Those groups are pushing Facebook to stop spreading hate speech for businesses to stop profiting off of it. Magnolia Pictures, Ben and Jerry's, Eddie Bauer joined REI, Patagonia, and others to to stop advertising on Facebook in July, just in July. Um, I know we talked about that. It's mm -hmm. just this is not the month to do it, but in that vein, even if it's a it's a it's a just a momentary thing. How do you assess what's happening? Because this has never happened before on Facebook. Which you know, there was one quote where one of the advertisers, of course, not uh, without naming themselves, said, "I hate this company, but I have to use it." It was really it was the most astonishing brand statement of. Of, that I had seen mm -hmm. that they don't want to advertise on it. So what do you, what, how do you play that? It, it, you do that sort of, um, symbolic thing by doing that? Or what, what do you make of this growing, uh, distaste with advertising on Facebook? I, I, I don't know if it'll stick, but it's an interesting trend. So first and foremost, quick trivia. One of those companies you mentioned that is boycotting Facebook, I served on the board of 15 years ago. Which one was it, Kara? I don't know. For a free lunch, outdoor lunch. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Tell me. Well, guess. You only named uh, four or five. REI. I was no, on the board of Eddie Bauer. Anyway. Okay. They wouldn't have you at REI. REI is way too cool. <laughs> Look, it, so the, the boycott of Facebook by these companies yeah. is similar to the League of Nations, 80% of CMOs and all organic house cleansers. It's a nice idea and it's cute, but it's totally ineffective. Mm -hmm. And that is, if you think about Facebook, if you think about the tensile strength of Facebook's business, Fox News loses seven advertisers from the Laura Ingram show, and it has a real impact on them. Because I, I would bet 200, their top, not even that, probably their top 100 advertisers mm -hmm. are 80 to 90% of their revenue. Yeah. Facebook has 8 million advertisers, and the largest 100 only account for about 24%. It's, Facebook is really a miracle of small business. So one, it will have almost no economic impact. It has a symbolic impact. But if you look at the companies doing this, 
it's more of a it's more show than substance because they don't have large marketing budgets and core to their brand are progressive values. So this in itself is a bit of a marketing play for mm-hmm. them. And the problem with Facebook and the recognition, this is almost to a certain extent strategically good for Facebook because it gives some people a chance to yell. They do a conference call. And it, it, it creates yeah. the illusion that there's progress and Facebook will pretend to learn from it. But this is like saying, okay, I'm against emissions. Coal is the dirtiest energy. I live in Florida. That's it. I'm not turning on my lights. Facebook yeah. is a monopoly. If you are a small business, you really have no choice. Uh, there's a certain huge swath of the economy that has no choice but to be on both Google and Facebook. They have a stranglehold on uh, top of the funnel marketing. So so there's no good to this. There's no good to this. It can't gain momentum. Well, I think it brings attention. I think it makes us feel good, but I actually think it might even be bad for us because it gives us the impression that something is happening. It's not. This these guys are the pimple on the pimple on the elephant that's in a different universe on a gnat that gets smacked against a windshield of 7,999,000 other advertisers. Here's a who, just so you know. That's the plot of Horton, here's a who. Um, all right, so so what, like, I, I want to get to their big story and I want to mention one other one, but what do you do? Nothing? Yeah. Nothing. It's, it's got to be users stopping no, using what, it or breaking it up. What do you that's, do is, what you do is, is, is you elect... Uh, you elect Biden, who funds the DOJ and the FTC, and they go after Facebook. I mean, at this point, Facebook is more likely to break up the government than the government is to break up Facebook. Supposedly, Facebook has decided that the government... Yeah, (laughs) I'm totally... You stole my thunder. I was going to credit them that they're going to break up the government because of their monopoly control, stifling innovation over companies like Facebook. I thought that was genius, the onion. Speaking of government, it did hit bad. Trump will suspend the H-1B visa. Uh, There are huge implications for Silicon Valley, who rely on it and other companies. Uh, I I mentioned it in my Twitter feed, and boy, did I get a debate going about the whether it's a good program or a bad program, whether Trump was right to do it or not. And we're going to talk about that on Monday. Uh, But it's a very big story, this idea for right on this. Well, the, I, I, I will bring the them on Monday. I will, that it ta- that it does okay. that it does uh, it, 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 that it helps the companies and not the workers, and that they're stuck in these jobs, they can't leave, they can't move, and then it puts uh, people out of uh, work too. And that we don't they don't spend the money training uh, Americans. It, it's an interesting. It was really it raged on hmm. my one question. It, I was surprised by the reaction um, on both sides. It was interesting. It, it was interesting debate. It wasn't even both. It was like ten sides of this whole thing. What it needs to be is reformed. Is what I from what I That's after right. reading reading it. And That's so right. we'll try to have a more nuanced conversation about visas on Tuesday's show. Well, Ingenoye, Satya Nadella, the CEOs of MasterCard and Adobe, who've created you know tens or hundreds of thousands of jobs, all came over on temporary visas. This is nothing but you know a racist whistle call. It's as yeah. if we have decided that okay, we're in a shooting, a non-shooting war with the Chinese and, and, a, and a race for global leadership. I mean, if you have if you have Shaq and Kobe on the same team, they're just not going to get along. So let's assume we're not going to get along with the Chinese. We've alienated our, our allies in Europe. And now let's think, OK, how do we really geopolitically fuck ourselves? Let's find the emerging power, the other emerging power, India, and let's let's put in place a ban that disproportionately impacts them negatively. I mean, the Indian, it, something like 200, it's 280,000 a year, 85,000 are renewed. A disproportionate number of really incredibly talented yep. Job uh, Indians creators. who come Job here, get educated here, and 
Yeah, and they're incredible job creators. And that's like, okay, who else can we alienate just to ensure that we lose our position as a, a global power? It's as if we've strategically said, how can we play into the Chinese and Russian hands? It's just, yeah, I'd it's, agree, not but, only, but it's not it only does, bigoted, it's just really fucking stupid. I agree, but there is a lot to it that really does hinder the, the workers and does benefit the companies uh, necessarily. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's called capitalism. But, I know, but that, we'll, we're going to have a, we're going to have an actual nuanced discussion about this, Scott. Uh, it's an interesting issue. Um, oh, that was a little oh, passive aggressive. Sorry about that. Okay. Okay, we're talking about Square. We're moving little on. We got lots of stories nuance. going. Scotia of the, nuance. I am moving on. I am moving on, as you always say about me. Scotia of nuance. Okay, let's get into big stories. Let's talk about Square. The mobile payments company headed by Jack Dorsey, your best friend, hasn't had an easy COVID-19 ride and recent policy changes pit them against their own merchants. For years, they've been popular with brick and mortar stores, which means the, uh, as the stores close down during the quarantines, they've been hit harder than competitors like PayPal and Stripe. They typically make money by charging 2 to 4% every time a transaction occurs. In Square's most recent shareholder letter, it reported a $106 million loss for the quarter. This is a company that was doing rather well. Now, small businesses that use the app to process credit card payments are saying the company is withholding 20 to 30 percent of these transactions for months. These small business entrepreneurs say they were little warning before the move was made, and the company claims it was made to protect against risky transactions. Over the last month, over a thousand business owners have signed a petition to asking Square to end this policy. I mean... I was talking to someone there and they were like, this is not good. This is, you know, this was a company with a lot of bright, really innovation and doing well. And mm -hmm. this COVID, we had, I hadn't even thought about Square getting hit so hard, but what do you, what do you think about this idea? Um, one merchant told the Times that, uh, it totaled about $3,000 and he couldn't pay his mortgage. Uh, what, what, this is not a good, good look for Jack Dorsey. Yeah. So back to me in 2007. Okay. Um, I was on the, I was on, I was, uh, on the board of Red, my company, the company I co-founded Red Envelope. I remember we, Basically it. the dirty secret, you remember, I know you remember it. Thank you for that. Um, uh, erotic fortune cookies. That's what, that was you ordering all those all the time, right? Okay. Move Biggest along. seller, erotic fortune cookies. Anyways. Uh-huh. Good so, to know. So 2007, the dirty secret of retail, especially retail, is you lose money for about 47 weeks a year, and then you make a bunch of money in the five weeks mm -hmm. between kind of uh, Thanksgiving and New Year's week. And you have to finance all that inventory. And we finance all our inventory. It ends up on a cargo ship, ship stuck eight miles off of the Long Beach Harbor. There's a longshoreman strike in Long Beach. We need to go get more capital to buy new inventory in Wells Fargo. Some analysts at Wells Fargo saw the credit crisis, was very prescient, and saw the credit crisis coming and pulled our line of credit. And literally seven weeks later, we were Chapter 11. We went from yeah. a company that was, you know, fairly healthy to Chapter 11 because our credit line had pulled. So this could, let's be clear, when when you're, when you're um, the people supplying you credit or people buy your products and then the credit card company holds those fees because they perceive you as a credit risk or some algorithm has deemed you uh, a, a risk and is holding the capital for longer, it can devastate the business. But at the end of the day, there's two sides of the trade and the retailers and the merchants can go to another payments platform. I think it's a pretty competitive environment. I don't think anyone has a monopoly like Stranglehold no. on it, unlike Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and, and Google. So this is, this is the machinery 
of commerce. And I think those merchants can go find someone else. I don't know. Yeah. I think the bigger issue here, the bigger story, Kara, and again, I want to yeah. make a nuanced argument. I want to okay, make try, a nuanced argument here, Kara. <laughs> okay. Is all of a sudden, didn't it remind you when all of a yeah. sudden in the press, Square has mostly stayed out of the press except they for have. the stock price. Didn't it also remind you like, wait, what the fuck? Jack Dorsey is the CEO there too. Oh, so I he's in the midst there. of an emergency, probably working 18 hours a day trying to put out this this dumpster fire. Oh, but what happens if there's a dumpster fire at Twitter, which happens every 36 hours? For me, this was more highlighting just how ridiculous oh, it is that the boards that the boards of Square and Twitter tolerate a part-time CEO. I think yeah, that's the bigger story. He's got a lot on his plate. Here. He's got a lot on his plate. But do you think anything's going to happen? On. I mean, first of all, you're right. They're going to lose business. And they've worked really hard to get in those stores. And they're in a lot of stores, let me, let me just say. But, you yeah. know, Apple Pay has certainly made inroads, you know, all the different di- all the different versions of this is, is something. But all I know is every time I talk to a merchant, they hate all of them, of course, um, and even Square. Yeah. But well, they a just lot take of, fees. Yeah, a lot of small merchants, especially like at cab drivers, I'm thinking there's the people that have them do not have the money to have it withheld. They just don't. They just simply don't. Mm-hmm. And their businesses drop so drastically. And so I, I think this will attract the attention of regulators. I think it's this is just the kind of story. They're hurting small businesses. And it's not good. And you're right, Jack, not having, you know, having another job. And he's very, Twitter's got a lot going on. Um, he's going to call more attention to it. And I think what was good for Jack was that Square was sort of working on all cylinders. And, and that that sort of took the pressure off of the fact that he had two jobs. But in this case... Square, just like a lot of businesses like Airbnb and some others, which by the way, Airbnb is seeing a lot of recovery. Um, you're not going to see recovery because stores were starting to open up. They're starting to open up in DC and places, but it's, they're also starting to close again. Um, as COVID really rages in, in certain states. So yeah. it's, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Jack Dorsey. Although I, I still don't think anyone's going to do anything about it either board. That's my feeling. I don't know. Yeah, as long as as long as the square, the square stock, I mean, it's been such an incredible performer. Ninety percent mm-hmm. of his wealth is at is from his equity stake in Square. Um, what's interesting, or you just mentioned Airbnb, just a quick data point. I've been trying to find shares in Airbnb. I think Airbnb is is going to be. I think it's a juggernaut. I think it's going to come back stronger, leaner, tighter, more profitable, and return to not only pre-COVID levels, but but benefit from the fact a lot of people are going to decide to try and monetize mm-hmm. these assets, they're, they're dwelling, and there'll be more demand because more and more companies will want to save money. But anyways, anyways, I think it's going to do really well. When I was first looking for shares in the private market on these secondary exchanges about three weeks ago, uh, the shares were priced at 65 bucks. The latest trade, and I didn't buy any, the latest trade is at $100. So that surge or that recovery has already been priced into a 50% gain in Airbnb secondary shares in the private market. So the markets agree with you that Airbnb is coming back. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's the numbers, right? I was actually searching for an Airbnb uh, the other day, which is interesting. I haven't done that in a while. Um, my mom, I'm trying to like escape from Florida, essentially. Um, I'm trying to get her out of there and like wash her down with a hose before she comes in the house. I don't know what to say. She's just like, she's been out a lot in Florida. And like, she's like, our area doesn't have any. I'm like, it's up 43, 7%, 4,300% or something in her area. She doesn't look at statistics yeah, in any way. It's a forest fire. Um, and I was, I was going to park her at an Airbnb for two weeks, like, and like throw food through the door essentially. Um, but it's an interesting, and I, that have was my own drone only- supervisor. <laughs> It was 
near my Nail house. Door shut. Let's go Chinese on Lucky. <laughs> I think that's racist. But anyways, the Chinese no. government is, in fact, no. I mean, shit fires up in Beijing. They lock that shit down. No, I, I mean, know. But they're, I'm not doing Lucky. In any case, besides your tasteless joke. Um, I will, I, I, it'll be an interesting time for Jack Dorsey. I think, you know, I think there's so much going on. Boards will do nothing. Uh, but they will, it is certainly a, a moment for this company, which was, they there's, do have a very strong executive bench. Let's be clear. That has, that company's got a lot of, uh, uh square executives. Yeah. A lot of them are women. A lot of the women are, a lot of women are running quite yeah. a lot of that. Uh, Jackie Reese's. There's a whole bunch of them there. And so it's an interesting company. We'll see. Anyway, Scott, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about new complaints of sexism in the gaming industry and a listener mail question. Try not to be completely offensive. Okay, Scott, we're back. Let's talk about sexual assault allegations in the gaming industry. This week, dozens of women have come forward on social media to talk about sexism, assault, and harassment in the gaming industry. Nothing new. This has happened. This we have seen this show before. The outpouring of these uh, Twitch streamers uh, who broadcast their games on the platform for money—it's a fascinating business—has made hashtag Twitch blackout trend over the past week. They're calling for a blackout because they think that the streaming site can do more to recognize victims of sexual and racial. Uh, abuse. In response, the CEO Emmett Shear said the company would take actions which may include banning and removing partnership or removing people from promotional opportunities and activations if we have concerns based on credible accusations and their historical behavior on Twitch. But people on Twitter quickly came out to voice their concerns over Twitch's continual lack of action accountability. I would agree with them. This is, this is, this is plain sight. Of course, we, we, we had the Gamergate issue. This is not something fresh and new that these people should be surprised is happening in the gaming industry. Um, if you remember Gamergate back in 2014, it, what do you think? What do you, what do you think they will again do? anything to change things. I, I, you know, something I, I don't know. I know so little about the gaming industry. I see this as just part of, you know, one cell and a much bigger cancer. And that is for some reason, distance reduces our empathy. And that is we're not mm -hmm. as philanthropic with the poor that live 2000 miles away versus 1000 versus our neighborhood, which sort of philosophically makes no sense. And when you can hide behind a game handle or a game set, or a fake Twitter mm -hmm. account, you just turn into a different human being. And and these platforms have hid behind this notion that they're not responsible for this behavior when all of them are. They, and mm -hmm. so we're starting to see some, some progress, I think, across the bigger platforms. And what's clear with this is that the Twitch platform is guilty of the same thing. It's just a temptation to put your hands over your eyes and ears and let bad behavior and what sounds like really dangerous behavior just run unfettered uh, permeates or infects all of these platforms. And again, it just comes back to the same thing, the gross idolatry of dollar ignoring damage to the Commonwealth or damage to individuals in terms of, in this case, in harassment. The amount of harassment online is crazy oh, from all kinds crazy. of parties to another. Well, gaming has been, you know, the particular, what happened in Gamergate was just uh, you know, I, I could go into it in detail. Can you detail. say more just, about that? Can you give a summary well, of Gamergate? Yeah, it was a really complex issue. It was started off as a as sort of a very fake attack on a uh, on a, uh, a prominent woman gamer who uh, was allegedly sleeping with a journalist to get better stories. It was not true, but it it it, it created. Let me 
quote the Guardian here, an online hate storm uh, that silenced, harassed, and docks progressive figures in the gaming industry, largely women. It's also a protest about perceived ethical failure in games journalism, but that is not what it's about. It degenerated into uh, a misogynistic uh, attack on women in the industry. And this is that, you know, this is the exact same thing. And, and Brianna, there's all these amazing women who tried to stand up, but they got really terrified and, and threatened. And in this case, this is, uh, is a sort of a different version, which is sexual harassment by all these various people, including people who there's so much money to be made, just like it is in, um, you know, I'm thinking of Tony Hawk and skateboarding. These Twitch gamers mm-hmm. are famous and, and popular and they get lots of sponsorships and misbehave. And so misbehave is a, a, a kind word of what's going on and behave in certain ways. And of course, so several of them, and they all have these anonymous names and, uh, and these strange names and, and operate. And the women are now not releasing their names either because they don't prefer to get, to get uh, uh, attacked and, and doxxed essentially. And, um, and what's amazing is that it, it's, it's in plain sight, a lot of it. And some of it, of course, isn't. And, it's this, it's the same old, same old, same old, and nobody, again, nobody stops them. And that is really the, the, the astonishing thing is Twitch benefits from these famous gamers and, and young men, especially watching them play games and things like that. And it, it, it this is at the heart of their, their economics of this. They love these, these gamers and they, and these gamers then abuse their position. It, it, it's, I, I don't quite know what they're going to do. Uh, except throw them off. And when they throw them off, it's going to hit their business really hard. Yeah, the the reason to be hopeful, though, not hopeful about harassment um, online getting better, but the reason why you might be hopeful that Amazon might take more action than some of the other platforms that have just deployed delay and obfuscation and these weapons of mass distraction is that the underlying cancer in all this is an, an ad model. Because mm-hmm. this type of controversy or harassment that enrages both sides gets one side excited, enrages the other side, which leads to more in, engagement, enragement, clicks, more Nissan ads, more, and then mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg gets wealthier. Uh, Twitch uh, has a subscription model. It's it's subscription revenues and advertising. And so the underlying business model isn't driven on rage. There is content here. There is expertise. There is artisanship, if you can think of it that way, in terms of gaming. And I think Amazon is more likely to move aggressively against these guys because they haven't grown up with a business model that is cancerous to the core. And that is an ad-driven business model. So while Twitter and Facebook are long practice in the art of ignoring, uh, you know, of ignoring hate Mm -hmm. content and rage, I don't think Amazon I don't think Amazon's grown up with that business model, and I think they're more likely to well, be hello. to be offended by it. And more Amazon Media, to they had to fire it. that guy. Come on, they have they have uh, you know they had to fire the head of uh, their media group. They replaced him with a woman, but huge amounts of issues of oh, sexual harassment. That they, it, it, Amazon Media overlooked. has done a fraction of the damage. Uh, again, no, I'm talking about their actual person who is running it. They had a guy running it that they had to fire. This was, issue. I thought it was Amazon Studios. I thought that Studios, guy was I'm sorry. Or maybe not it was media. both. Studios, yeah. Studios. I don't know what his job In any yeah, case, but he was I'm a talking about, You asked me, is anything going to You asked me, is yeah, anything going to happen here? And my understanding right. is this is a quote unquote a systemic issue on the platform. And I think Amazon, yeah. my point is, I think Amazon is more likely to move, show some actual action versus the non action that Facebook and Twitter have become so skilled in. I think Amazon is likely to do something here as opposed to just trying to delay and obfuscate.
You don't I think so. Have, you don't think they're going to do anything? I don't, because I still remember Jason Del Rey's excellent story about the management of man- Amazon. It is, it is white and it is guys and it is overlooking things. And so you just, you know, yeah. you just, uh, I don't think everyone's awful there. I don't think, I think a lot of people try, but it's just a, it's a, it's a homogeneous culture there. And I just think this doesn't, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. It happens. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. designed, but it certainly is designed into the process. And to not Emmett Shear, for to not have noticed this, by the way, is just come on. I just it's it's unbelievable. Actually, it's 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 just a and and then be you know shocked. And I shall do something about it. Why didn't they do it before? It's the same thing. Why didn't they do it before? Yeah. Why did why did the Anchemima brand continue? We didn't know it was still there, but it was. Like why suddenly? I just I just I just think they won't do it. I think they will clean it up. But they should have before. And I guess uh, you can't go back in time, but it certainly is uh, disappointing. And I'm glad these these women are really, these stories are really if quite If we could turn something. back time, Kara. Oh, my God. Don't even sing that to me. If we could turn don't back even. time. Oh, my God. If I had your hair, I'd grow it down to my waist. I'd be so <laughs> fabulous. I'd grow it down to my waist. You know what? I'd I'm wear, ignoring you. you I'd wear poochie dresses. I'd wear hair harassment. Manila Blahnik shoes. Is, I'm not letting you do Ugh. this. It's not, listen, we're going to go to a listener question, shall we? Harassment. Rebecca, save me here and please play the tape. Please play the tape. You've got mail. Hey, Scott and Kara. Donovan from Los Angeles here. Apple and Google put out a big press release in April saying that in May, they will be releasing contact tracing API with an app to follow. The tech has only been picked up by three states so far due to the decentralization of the data. How can these giants integrate privacy but also protect public health? Thanks. Hmm. Yeah, I read Mm. these apps aren't getting any take up. What do you think here, Kara? I think that people have done contact tracing for lots of lots of hundreds of years kind of thing. And they've done it. They did it in 1918. You know, New York hired it's, it's, it's people on the ground getting information because it's very hard. There was a great story in the times about this, about how hard it is to get this contact uh, tracing information. I don't think people are going to mm-hmm. input it in these apps. I know uh, Pinterest, the Pinterest CEO was working on one where people talk about their health. I just don't think people, I think you have to go follow people like, detectives. And that's what they do. They hire hundreds of people. And even then, it's incredibly hard to do it because one, Americans apparently, you know, the Germans cooperate, other countries cooperate. Americans don't seem to yeah. want to cooperate that we're much. Exceptional, so, we're exceptional, We're exceptional. Exceptional, <laughs> exceptional at not cooperating. Yeah. And I, so I don't think that, you know, I think it, it's a good idea, like in prints, in concept, especially if privacy is protected. But in general, I think technology is not the solution here necessarily, except when it comes to crunching the numbers later or doing AI or, you know, I just don't, I, I, and and I think you, you know, especially as Trump is scaling down federal funding of testing and contact tracing, um, I, I just don't think necessarily that the, the tech giants help that much. Um, and I, it, there, it also raises all kinds of issues about their data. Uh, I do, I do think people, states having to, are going to have to do this themselves because the federal government has abrogated its role completely. So I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Uh, tracing is still one of those things that can't be outsourced to technology. The technology can be a tool, but at the end of the day, it's got to be a uh, an innovative, high EQ person that has the presence to reach out to someone and say, Hi, we're here to help and sit down with them and really ask them the right questions to try and understand who they've been in contact with. Mm-hmm. And we have 2,500 tracers in the United States, mostly focused on foodborne illnesses and STDs. And there's an opportunity, and we've talked about this before, to take all these out-of-work kids and maybe 500,000 of, of the 11 million students that aren't going to be returning 
to college campuses in September 1 as we figure out we've been deluding ourselves about opening again. But that's another story. And turn them into mm-hmm. a Corona core of tracers. And it could be yeah. really powerful. Tracing is kind of the, you know, if our if our response to the virus, which is the worst in the world at this point, it, the weakest of weakest links right now, I would argue is tracing. And to just assume that like everything else, we're going to figure this out in 0.005 seconds if Google is involved. You're right. It's feet on the street. It's boots on the ground. And we need an yeah. army of tracers. What is interesting is there are some really um, uh, hopeful um, bills being that have received bipartisan sponsorship around um, around social service um, or public service that potentially could could evolve something like a core of tracers. But the bottom line is, if we had more competent, more creative governments, if we hadn't totally gutted the coffers of our local health um, administrations, uh, we would be in a position to rally, and maybe we still are, an army of hundreds of thousands of young people who aren't immune but are largely are less damaged by this virus to begin the mother of all tracing using handheld technologies. But to assume you got to have the hands to hold these technologies. And that's what we're missing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think inputting and things like that, but you do need, you can see people with iPads or things like that. That's how technology be used rather than paper. Like I just, like, it seems like it's, it's not like technology does not solve all problems. And you're right. This is something that is, it's detective work. And sometimes detective work is DNA. Sometimes it's, you know, a lot of stuff has been solved through technology. But at the same time, there's nothing like a, a good detective or sometimes there's bad, there's a lot yeah, of bad. And sometimes it's just, you know, you know what a lot of it is? A lot of it is just empathy. You find out someone's been exposed yeah. and they have to, they have to get, they have to leave their house because their kids uh, don't have childcare and potentially infect other people. And you figure out a way that individual, not, not, no amount of processing power, I don't care if it's a singularity or AI, can match the nuance of someone who sees something is going on in this household. How can we help such that you don't go out and infect dozens of other people and we get R less than one? So they're not only tracing, they're really about suppressing the R. I, I think this is an enormous opportunity for us to to try and figure out a way to rally some of the millions of people who are all of a sudden out of work and give them a sense of pride and agency and something greater than themselves, stand shoulder to shoulder with other young people and serve America. Yeah. I think it's a huge America opportunity. Core. I think tracing could be something really interesting. Yeah. So am I going to have to send my son to do tracing? He's coming to NYU, Scott. He's coming, <laughs> he's coming for you. In any case, I think it's a really, it's an interesting question. I think the issue is the, the federal government not stepping up here and that these states, the, as these states, as they wax and wane in terms of the numbers and it's going to continue all through the fall, whether we can bring the data together. And I think that's where tech companies can really help and lend their resources is that there's this data is all over the place. Uh, and it, it, they certainly have the capabilities of marrying it in some way. There's, there's all kinds of innovative ideas they could bring to you to get the data and get the proper data. So, so officials and states and, and localities can make better decisions. So, but I think I would be nervous if I was a state or local thing, especially without support of the federal government to have to then try to vet a Google or Apple app, even if, uh, even if they work. And I think a lot of people's experience is smart to put the brakes on it. In any case, all right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions. All right, Scott, we're back. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, what we're, I don't have a prediction except that, uh, the, the, the number of COVID cases rising is, you know, we're going to have to really start focusing back on that, uh, again is really a, a disturbing trend. Um, obviously a victim of opening up too soon, uh, and opening up stupidly. 
Um, so, so, so talk to me about what you think is going to happen, not necessarily with COVID. You can predict anything you want, but I'd love to understand what you think, you know, what companies do now with the opening and closing and opening and closing of our, of our, uh, of our businesses. It's really, uh, it's really interesting. It's, it's just so, it's just so unusual that we have a narrative and the narrative went something like this. Uh, you know, a tolerable number of deaths, some tragedy, it would kind of disappear because we like to think it's summer loving, the heat, the mm-hmm. beach, the virus is going to give us a break because it's compassionate and worried about our summer plans. There'd be <laughs> somewhat of a relapse in the fall by the time we had a vaccine and then boom, we're back to normal. And it's clear the virus didn't get the memo. We're not going to need a relapse because we have a forest fire. It's just continuing mm-hmm. It's yeah. just to continue, continuing to grow. And my prediction leads into this notion of American exceptionalism and ignorance kind of dethroning us or depositioning as the global superpower. And I was reading this article about how the Suez Canal, uh, essentially the British, the Israelis, and the French invaded the western part of the Suez Canal in, uh, in I think, 54. And mm-hmm. the failure of it, and to try and also unseat uh, the Egyptian president Nasser at the time, and the failure of it sort of laid bare just how weak this global superpower Britain had become. And I think in retrospect, we're going to look at COVID-19, whether it's our inability to manufacture uh, cotton tip swabs. If you think about this, just going out again, this theme 10 years forward, China was on a trajectory to seize the mantle of global leadership. It's just happening in weeks now instead of a decade. Uh, you know, our acquiescing and and China's seizing of the global mantle, the baton, I wonder if this is that moment. And and China's off its heels, onto their toes, have made infrastructure investments. They've been more aggressive, even though the virus started there. They, they're, and, uh, you know, corruption is kind of their call sign in terms of their government and their data. But they are, in fact, getting off their heels, onto their toes. They're funding the World Health Organization. They're participating in a more global dialogue, they've said if they come out with a vaccine, they're going to distribute it for free. They're making loans to people who are in financial strife because of the global pandemic. And we're telling people that they can't yep. come over uh, on temporary visas. I mean, it's just, we are withdrawing. And we can't go they to Europe. We may offense. not be able to go to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, that story was go to like. Europe. You're not well, supposed to go to New York if you're from Florida right No, now. I know, Anyways, but Europe my, doesn't want us. We're like, Grouped in with a bunch of countries that... (laughs) Who wants us now? But look, I wonder if this is our Suez Canal. And that is when we Mm. look back, if in fact China does does grab the baton. And you know what? You know what Britain or you know what the U.S. Eisenhower didn't want Britain to go into the canal. And you know what he Mm. threatened to do if they didn't get out? He threatened to sell their bonds, which he had purchased as they were racking up deficits. Imagine what China could do. If they yeah. threatened to sell our bonds, what would happen to our interest rates? What would happen to our interest rate expense, which is now greater than our, how much we spend on defense at record low interest rates? They are now, they now have us by the balls because they have all our debt. I mean, you could see something very similar play out to what to what happened in 54. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bad, wow. You're reaching back in history. I, I can't believe this. I don't know how we got to the Suez it's the Canal. Edibles. It's the edibles talking. <laughs> The Su- but I think you're right. I think that's a really good, I think it does have, I think I, I'm really looking forward to, you know, businesses reacting. You saw Disney workers are worried about opening up uh, Disney World. Like it, it just, it, it it has so many iterations. And meanwhile, James Earl Jones, I, like, honestly, like there's something like deeply yeah. wrong at the, at the heart of this. That is not just Donald Trump. Well, that's, it's the entire. That's the problem. Uh, it, I mean, it's the, well, that, it's a lot. That's Donald what's so Trump. tragic here is that. 
when you have an administration setting off hydrogen bombs, you you can't even you don't have time for the dumpster fires. This H one B visa yeah. thing is so stupid. It's such a tragedy for us. If you so many of us come, my parents came over on a steamship. And the, America loved, well, what is our secret sauce? If you had a company and that company just magically attracted the best and brightest from all four corners of the earth, you couldn't help but be successful. And that's been yeah. America, the best and brightest globally, always wanted to get to America. That's our secret sauce. And we've decided, let's take the secret sauce and make America allergic to it through a bunch of racist tropes. It, to, to, yeah. This is our superpower. It's like we've decided we're Superman and we're just going to decide we don't want to fly. Remember that scene when mm -hmm. he decided he didn't want his superpowers and he got the shit yeah, beat yeah. out of him at a truck stop? Well, that's what's happening mm -hmm. now. Why on earth would we give up our superpower, which is embracing the most talented people in the world and opening our arms to immigrants. It just makes no sense, Kara. Yeah. Well, let's go back to being Superman. That's because Darth let's Vader's running things right now. Let's go back to being Superman. Right Getting back to Darth Vader is because the, the Death Star is running things, but we'll see how that goes. You know, they use that analogy online. Uh, uh, Bar Brad Parscale uh, used that analogy online. <laughs> that, Margot that, that they Kidder were the and Death too hot. Oh, yes. That's what you get. But when at you're the Superman. end of that movie, he went back and he beat up the guy. He put it, pushed him down. The if you That's recall, right, he goes back. Christopher Reeve. Gosh, that guy. Was, I Reed. thought oh. that guy was incredible. May I say a small personal thing? I went to school with him. I went to high school with him. Did you really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was he Robin Williams' room. roommate? He was the star in the high school. All the high school productions. He's he was a lovely guy. He loves a lovely guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tragic. Yeah, yeah he seemed like a, a really, uh, his brothers a really were great. decent man. His brothers, yeah, very decent, decent fellow. It was very lovely. Uh, he was like, the, he was the star of the high school plays of everything else. Anyway, uh, let's hope we have more Christopher Reeve and less, uh, less Darth Vader. Anyway, Scott, I really appreciate it. What are you doing this weekend? What's going on? Uh, so I am sheltering in place. Unfortunately, I, yeah, I came back to New York. To stay um, safe. And now, so I basically went to, I've, I'm in my loft in Soho and not allowed to go anywhere. And so I'm you probably going to go back. Because you're from Florida. You're like lucky. I could send Lucky up there with you if you want. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. That would you know be, what's inspiring? That would be I got, a I got reality a, show. In, in Florida, we have what a record number of cases, I think 5,000. No one's wearing a mask. You come to New York. They've almost, you know, they've really handled, I would argue that they've, yeah. they've, they've, I don't, don't want to say handled it well, but I think they've shown a, a great deal of citizenship. No, handled it well. I'll say that. Yeah. And I think we're in the low hundreds of cases now and everyone on the street mm -hmm. is wearing a mask. Everybody. It's like the citizenship of Manhattan. Same thing in Vermont. Let me just tell you. And yeah, it's it is. Really, it, it is. It's, it's nice to see. And so anyways, I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm you not stay doing inside. I forget. <laughs> I forget. You're, you inside. need to stay two weeks, my friend. You better not move from that. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna put a sensor on you or something. I'm gonna put a contact trace yeah. on you. In any case, uh, don't forget if there's a story in the news and you're curious about what you want to hear for our opinion on, email us at pivot at boxmedia.com to be featured on the show. Scott, I will talk to you Monday. I'm leaving Vermont. I'm going back down to D.C. where I will have better internet access. In any case, read us out. Today's episode was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Our sound engineer is Fernando Finete. Eric Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks to Drew Burrows and also to Matt and Rebecca today who helped me with my technology as I am in quarantine or self-isolation. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android 
user. Check us out on Spotify or frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Luke, I am your father. (laughs) That wasn't very good. That wasn't very good.